Welcome back to Good Vibes Nation. No Doug, got another amazing guest on the podcast today. Today's guest is in a phenomenal example of resilience and strength. She's used those attributes not only to dismantle the falsehoods of the cult she was being raised in, but to help others embrace their voice and find their purpose as well. I want to welcome to the show Amber Powers. Amber, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for hopping on to our podcast, Amber. You and I talked a little bit uh, before we started. Like you know, we like to start off our podcast with our guests, giving a little bit of background, where you're from, born and raised. Can you can you give us a little bit of that info? For sure. So um, I was born um, in Indianapolis, Indiana. I spent most of my life uh, being raised in a small town. Um, at the time, it was about 6,000 6, people large. Uh, called Bartersville, Indiana, um, halfway between Bloomington and Indianapolis, for anybody familiar. Okay. Um, so, small farm town, that's where I came from. Obviously, the reason why I reached out to you, you've got an amazing story, right? You were, you were being raised in, in a cult. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What did, what did that entail? Yeah, so I was born into the cult that I was raised in. Um, there, there wasn't really an option for me. Um, so, I mean, essentially, it boils down to not having a choice, right? There's a, there's a lot of control. As anybody who's familiar with cults, it's usually a control that's based on fear. Um, and that was definitely the case with the cult that I was raised in. Um, you know, we were, as women, our voices were oppressed. Um, women did not hold any position in the church at all other than teacher. That was as high as, as we could go. Um, and we were taught, you know, how to sit, how to stand, um, how to not draw attention um, of the male eye. Um, we were taught to um, sit appropriately so that men couldn't look up our skirts from, from the platform. Um, it was just a lot of rules and regulation, legalism. Um, we had to, you know, get approval for, uh, from leaders as to, you know, where we went on vacation, if we could go on vacation. Um, we weren't supposed to have televisions in our homes. I mean, I could, I could go through an entire yeah. list of the, the don'ts. <laughs> Abs absolutely. Now you mentioned, like you said, church in there too. So my, where my mind goes is, is are they the way that they're talking to you about, you know, women should be, do this, that, the other thing? Are they backing this information biblically, or is this something that is, you know, to you, it's not in the Bible. It's something that it is just a part of this group. Sure. So there were plenty of scriptures that they used to back up, most of which were taken completely out of context. Right. Um, however, I, I would say, based on my memory as a child, much of what was taught, um, as with many cults, was actually the theology of a man who, quote unquote, received a message from God, right? Yeah. And so um, there's a following of a um, of a prophet, so to speak, um, who received this message, and and he has not ultimate authority. God still has ultimate authority, but 
um, there was really no question as to if we were to follow that person's wisdom. And so I would say half of the teaching that was given to us was quote unquote biblical. The other half was words of the prophet. Yeah. More or less. You're, you're kind of talking like a David Koresh type of situation. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly why I wanted to ask that question. And a lot of times, I don't know if this is the case here, but a lot of times, just like that David Koresh aspect, right? Where it's like, you know, women, you're talking about, you know, women a lot of times will say like, okay, you have to wear your skirts down to your to your ankles. You can't show your ankles. You have to sit right. a certain way. But it's like, it bots everybody else except for that one guy, right? It seems like like mm-hmm. that's how it was with Koresh. It was like, okay, you guys don't be tempted, but hey, all these other ladies, I don't know if that was the case there, but history kind of repeats yeah. itself and it kind of seems like yeah. these these cult leaders are you know do as i say not as i do type of situation yeah yeah and in, in our um in our cult in particular and i'm not sure how this you know pertains to other cults but um essentially the more money that you contributed the less the rules applied to you yeah and um i won't say that you know like as a child i wore pants um, that was frowned upon in our in our church. Um, so you know the leaders weren't in our household holding us under thumb to every single rule. We still had some autonomy, but with the understanding that we essentially held our our judgment in our own hands. Yeah. So there was still that fear kind of ruling over us when man wasn't there to do so. But there wasn't, in this situation, it wasn't, I kind of went to the other side of the spectrum. There wasn't like, David Koresh, they they literally had a compound. Like every, all the families lived in that, in that compound. This is more of a, a free world cult, if you, Mm -hmm. you know, if I can say it that way. Yes. And, um, I remember because I always felt different as an individual, I've always kind of stood out, um, from me being, you know, a foot taller than all the kids as a child, um, I just grew very quickly. But I also stood out just in my mannerisms and my personality, my characteristics. Right. And then throw on top of it, um, I'm I'm raised in a, a place where I can't look like or act like anybody else. I can't act normally. I can't hang out with people who um, I would normally be able to hang out with as right. a child. And so uh, church became my safe haven. The cult that I was raised in became kind of my safety blanket. And so I remember as a preteen hearing about um, the possibility of sort of that compound being created, not in as extreme an instance as Koresh, um, but in so much as only church people can be educated at this new school that we're going to build. And that was like gold to me because at school I stood out and I so desperately didn't want to stand out. I wanted to fit in and church was the only place where that happened. Wow. That's crazy. Now I read you lost two family members to the Jonestown massacre. So two part question here for our younger listeners. I know we got some younger listeners that aren't familiar with Jim Jones and the Jonestown mm-hmm. massacre. Can you give just a brief description of what that was? That's number one. And my second question would be, obviously, how did that affect 
your family by that loss? And like specifically, was that an eye opening moment for your family or no? <laughs> you would think so. I'll get to that in just a second, though. Um, so for people who maybe are not familiar with Jim Jones, he was a charismatic um, man who started a church. It was called People's Temple, and it was actually blocks away from the church where I was raised. Um, he, in fact, did come to our congregation a few times and ended up recruiting some members. Uh I had family on both sides, my mother and my father's side, that attended his church. Um, on my dad's side, his uh, grandmother actually felt like something was kind of off and ended up pulling his family or her family from the church. Um, but how how Jonestown uh, massacre came to be was essentially, um, as most most things do, they start with good intentions, right? So. Uh, Jim Jones was charismatic. He had this, um, at the time, groundbreaking idea that racial integration should be a thing. And um, he was he was very loving towards his congregation. He wanted to start sort of this uh, homesteading, grow your own food, all of the great things. And I think what happens is... Um, he just he just became corrupt. His ego started to kind of take over, um, and eventually, what happened is they ended up buying property in Guyana, um, and that's where everything like some things started to come to light as far as in the media. Um, a media person flew down, um, ended up offering to to help some people escape that felt endangered, and ended up losing their life which spurred to the actual, if you've ever heard, don't drink the Kool-Aid, that's where this comes from. Yeah, absolutely where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. So um, in all of that, I, I did lose two cousins on my mom's side. They were distant cousins. And it actually took me writing this book that, I, that I'm writing currently um, to get all of the details, it became so hush-hush. People just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to become, or they don't want to be associated with it. They'd rather bury it than to deal with it. Yeah. And so for me, it just became something to deal with because the past repeats itself if you don't. Absolutely. And there was the massacre, right? There was over 900 people that died. Yes. That, was a, that was a part of that, right? And then, like yes. you said, don't drink the Kool-Aid. That was, he encouraged or commanded, rather, his his followers, right, to, to drink that cyanide-laced yep. punch, right? That's what we're talking about. That, yes, the it, was, it was multiple poisons. They started with children first, and then after the children started to die, the parents were next. That is crazy. But he shot himself. Yeah. He didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yes, correct. So, so. There's still some speculation as to exactly how he died, but... um. He did the all accounts point to him not drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, right. Everybody else but him. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And another thing that you see in a lot of these cults are they're they're the young ladies or and young men, right? They're groomed for marriage, right? And this was you too, right? You for were sure. groomed for for marriage yeah. at a young age. Take us through that. Yeah. So, um, as a as a twelve year old. Um, I remember I had my first love, which was normal. 
um, for me, not for most people. <laughs> for most people listening to this, they're probably like, no, that's not normal. Right. Uh, but for me, it was. Um, my parents were four years apart. Um, they started dating at about the same age, 12, 13 years old. Um, and the young man that I was interested in was four years older than me. So it was starting to parallel my parents' love. Uh, my parents were both raised in the church as well. And so this wasn't anything particularly um, out of the ordinary. However, my mother ended up pregnant uh, before marriage. And that was traumatizing to her. And it was traumatizing to my dad. And I think that they were just not interested in having me kind of repeat their their mistakes. So they ended that. Um, however, soon after, I started uh, getting bridal magazines from my mom. Um, uh, you know, trying to find the right person for me. And, and this was the part that was the most confusing. In a church that was very conservative, we weren't supposed to wear makeup. We weren't to have our ears pierced. We weren't to stand out yeah. as women in any way. Um, she took me to have my glamour shots done. And for anybody oh, who yeah. was raised during the 80s, oh, you yeah. know, glamour shots was the total opposite. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I was very confused, but also this was an opportunity for me to feel quote unquote normal. So I totally jumped on it. Right. Um, and, you know, after that was done, I, I took the pictures to church and uh, we were sitting in the youth group, the, the women or the young women in one pew and the men in the pew behind us. And my pictures were being passed around and it caught the eye of one young man who I ended up marrying. Um, and I was, after he purchased a hope chest for me, my mom was buying baby um, outfits. She was already equipping nursery. Like, um, she was constantly pressuring him about when he was going to pop the question. How old um, are you both at this time? I was 14. Um we dated until I was 15. We took a break and then we got back together when I was 18. Okay. Um, and so uh, we dated for about seven years off and on before we got married. And then we were married for five. Um, and it, yeah, it was just constant pressure. And, and her pressuring me, of course, made me want to shut her up. <laughs> like, I just wanted her to stop, yeah. you know, constantly being in my ear about getting married. And so I was pressuring him um, on top of the pressure that she was already providing him. So um, the grooming is essentially, you know, you have to show up a certain kind of way. You have to be a young lady. You have to dress a certain way. You have to let the man be the head of the house. And, and uh, you know, um, I think some of these attributes are certainly taught in traditional Christian churches, but it was extreme. It was extreme. And um, by the time I was 18, I knew what wedding dress I was going to wear. I knew um, where I was going to get married. I knew where we were going to honeymoon. I knew how many kids we wanted, um, the type of house that we wanted to live in. And this just isn't normal. <laughs> this, right. isn't, this isn't normal. So obviously, when did you start to see or, you know, start to, to break free and kind of separate yourself from that? Like you, we mentioned before, kind of go back just a second, when we talked about the Jonestown massacre and your family, I asked, was it an eye-opening moment? You, you said you would think it would be, 
right? But it wasn't. So when did you right. when did you start to realize it and break free? Yeah, so um, it was actually I was 16 years old um, when my parents decided to walk away from the original church that we were raised in. Um, but the the teaching, the theology, and the fear. Um, because we were taught that we had to be perfect in order to go to heaven. That was one of the main theologies. Um, and so with that being said, we lived or we were a part of the perfect church. You know, the, the 144,000 that the Bible speaks of was yeah. going to come out of our church. And so going anywhere else, just in my mind, wasn't an option. And so my parents deciding when I was 16 years old to say, uh, you know, we're done because the church, the head of the church had actually been uh, found guilty for child molestation and a number of other uh, charges. And so that's when they said enough and they decided to walk away. Uh, That phone call was incredibly traumatic for me. because essentially. Uh, they removed any chance that I had to go to heaven when they said, we're not, we're not going to go back. Um, So I ended up finding a different church that had broken away from that same group in the 1970s for, I believe, similar reasons, but I can't speak to those. Um, I stayed there, you know, when I was married. And so I, I would say really when I started to truly break free was when I was in college, I started to have some realizations about, uh, faith um, that made me question my faith and made me start to um, kind of open my mind a little bit and understand that I had indeed been groomed for marriage, that I wasn't happy in the marriage that I was, you know, essentially told I had to choose. Yeah. Um, and so those two things happened kind of simultaneously. The awakening that I was forced into a marriage that I really didn't want to be in. Um, and second, that the faith that told me this, um, I wasn't happy with. So you break free. Let's talk about life after the cult, right? You've got a passion for helping other women. How's that been? So, yeah, I, I think when I, especially in the last probably seven, eight years, I've found my voice um, in, in, a, in a cult where women can't really use their voice. Um, It becomes important to find out who you are in a world where people are constantly telling you who you are. Um, And then having the freedom to share that with the world, because I truly believe uh, that I'm here for a purpose. Absolutely. And I think many people feel the same. And if you can't share that purpose with the world, then what's the point? And so I have, I have found how empowering it's been to find my voice and to use my voice. And so now what I do is I uh, coach other women to find their voice and to use their voice and to use their story to really share their passion with the world so that they can make the changes they want to see. That's awesome. And how do you do that, Bach? You've got some, you've got some things going on. What do you got going on? I got, I got some things going on. Yes. So I, I run a program called uh, Influence to Affluence, and that is essentially um, building up your uh, usually social media platforms. Sometimes right. it can be blogging platforms, um, but I have a marketing 
background. I've been in marketing since 2001. So I know how to use all of the mechanisms to really reach the right people through um, specific brand messaging mm-hmm. um, to make sure that you're talking to the right people, reaching the right people, showing up authentically and drawing your ideal audience to you so that you can then move into what I call ethical influencer status or brands that align with your core values as a person um, and influencing for those brands that really align with you. And that brings in extra revenue streams so that you can really thrive as an individual. That's cool. Yeah. Now, let me flip back just one more time, right? So a lot of times you've been through a lot with uh with the church and we talked about it being you know asked the question was it was it biblical based or or what and you seem a very very intelligent woman now has that burned you with the church or have you realized the facts that like it became the cult became you know influenced by that one person and mandated um so i would say that it has given me a um my experience and working through the trauma has has really opened my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I am not a religious person um, and have no intention to ever be a religious person again because it's a man-made institution. Um, I do believe in a higher power. Um, I, for a long time, and I, I'm still working through this, um, you know, I... I haven't had a good relationship with Jesus because of the uh, people who have damaged me in his name. And so repairing that relationship is important to me um, because he didn't do anything to me. (laughs) Um, But I have no intention on ever stepping back into a religious way of life. And I I understand that. And that's what's so hard to, to deal with. Right. And, in life mm-hmm. where you, you mentioned Jesus, right. And that, and that these things that happen, like happened to you, affected you seeing uh, other people. Right. And that's the hardest thing is the aspect of free will, you know, and mm-hmm. that's how people can just have, God gives us that, that free will, but you know, it's not necessarily Jesus. It's that one individuals right. that, you know, that, that Jones, that Koresh, that, Right, you know, is pulling the wool over people's eyes in the name of religion. Right, it's crazy. Exactly, it's crazy. I love what you're doing. I love that you have, you know, obviously separated yourself from that because uh, it's a lot to dig out from. It's a lot to dig out. Oh from, yeah. Um, just yeah. by what we talked um, about alone. Yeah, exactly. Every every time I think that I'm quote unquote healed. I'm not, (laughs) you know, there's something new that pops up and that's okay. Cause I think healing is, uh, is not linear. Yeah. It's something that there's layers with as it comes up. There's layers, there's layers, you know, and, and it takes a little bit of time to get down to, to the root and stuff, especially what you're after. But like I said, I'm, I'm proud of you. I love the fact that you're now reaching back to, to other women, you know, to help them, yeah. you know, given the circumstances of you didn't have a voice for all those years, you weren't allowed to, you know, to, to think or feel on your own. You were told and controlled yes. what to do. And that is the opposite of what Jesus wants. So thank you so much for your time. I want to give you of a course. second to, to give the ats, let our listeners know where they can find you and what you got going sure. on. 
Yeah. So um, for people who are interested in following along, I am uh, releasing my book called Untethered in March of this coming year that talks all about my experience. Um, you can find out more about that on my website. It's amberkpowers.com, amber middle initial K powers.com. Um, I am also starting, just started to blog on there. So um, you can follow along with some of my life experiences through that blog. Um, all of my socials are linked on that website. So really any way to stay in touch can be found on that one website. Fantastic. Well, guys, check her out and be looking out for that book that's coming out in March. We'll have to get it, read it, and get you back on this show. I'd love that. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it, Amber. Until next time, guys, we're out. <laughs>